Hello and welcome to Boomeranging, from expat to repat, a podcast that explores the question, what could be so hard about returning home after years living overseas? I'm your host, Margot Anderson, and in this series, we will be exploring the current job market and work opportunities in Australia for returning Australian expats. I'll be talking to organisations who engage with Aussie expats about where they see the opportunities and the challenges for Australians coming home. If you've just returned, are thinking about it, this series will give you the current lowdown on working and networking back home. My guest today is a founder and chair of the Employee Mobility Institute, Deborah DeSurf. Deb has had a 30-year career working with Fortune 500 companies in supporting their staff's international moves and the unique challenges that come with moving people, their lives and their families overseas for a job. She now leads the Employee Mobility Institute to advocate, promote and grow the talent mobility industry throughout Australasia. Deb well and truly has her finger on the expat repat job pulse and I'm excited to talk to her about the trends she is seeing right now particularly the shift from global mobility to talent mobility. So welcome, Deb. Hi, Margot. Nice to be here. So, Deb, can you tell us a little bit more about the Employee Mobility Institute, or TEMI, as it is commonly referred to? So the Employee Mobility Institute was set up predominantly to elevate the talent mobility industry and those that work within the industry. Myself, I come from the relocation management uh, side of things. About 30 years ago, I set up one of the first relocation management companies here in Australia, and it was a national organisation. And we focused on the employee experience. So how do you look after and care for the expatriates that are moving into uh, Australia? Over the years, I've, I've gone more into the corporate side of things and, and been looking very much at the policies and the procedures and the processes that the organisations need to implement to run a mobile workforce. And TEMI was really created as a platform for them to learn and to grow their skills when it comes to globalised workforces and how you actually mobilise talent around the world. So you've had a really interesting path. You originally started in the relocation logistics area. Can you share a little bit about how your path has subsequently unfolded from there? Yes. You know, it's interesting. I fell into this industry, as I think anybody in the the mobility space will say to you. It's one of those ones that you... You don't even know it exists and then when you do find it, you either love it or you hate it. Um, For me, uh, I joined a uh, small company that was a subset from Brambles, which is a large organisation. They decided that they were going to bring in these destination services type programs into Australia and uh, that was really the turning point for my, my whole career. I had been very interested in the concept of global workforces and globalisation at the time and had a natural affinity to it. So I ended up working in this company for a couple of years. We then bought the company out and we focused very much on looking at how you help the expatriate actually settle into Australia. It wasn't too long after we did that that the market started to change and it wasn't just inbound. 
we weren't just talking about, you know, people coming into Australia. We were talking about, well, what do you do on the outside, you know, when we're sending them out to the rest of the world. So I created um, an international network and worked with some very large organisations over in the UK and, and Europe and the United States, and we created an outsourcing model that supported expatriates leaving Australia. Amazing. That was really, really rewarding. I, it was an incredible time. I think it was probably about 10, 12 years where I really focused on the expatriate experience. And then I decided that there was a little bit of a gap in the marketplace in that the corporate side of things, the people who were actually relocating these individuals at that stage. Because if you keep in mind too, when I'm, you know, we're talking about back in the 80s, the self-driven mobility was not a big thing. So it wasn't really, um, it wasn't somebody saying, hey, I'm going to go overseas for an assignment. It was very much my company's going to send me and therefore, you know, how are we going to look after the family? So I started working with uh, KPMG and we created a outsourced model whereby we could not only look at the expatriate experience, but we could actually look at what's happening within the corporate entity. And that then meant that we were focusing on international HR. We were focusing on immigration, clients that was needed from a tax point of view, remuneration and benefits, and bringing that all together to say that when we are going to move talent across country borders it needs to be quite a holistic approach Mm, fabulous yeah I did that for a while and then decided that after about 20 odd years in the service industry it was time to get some corporate experience so I actually shipped myself off to New Zealand and worked as an expat myself (laughs) within a corporate environment and looked after another large multinational organization's global mobility program, relocating their staff around the world. I think we had people going to about 25 different locations. And you also had time in the US as well, is that correct? Yeah, so I I spent probably a year um, living in, in the United States and then I must admit I went backwards and forwards uh, for quite some time. And actually that was really the beginning of my interest in globalisation. I had uh, spent this 12 months in the United States. I'd never travelled before that time and not certainly overseas. And so seeing a different perspective, seeing just the way business was very different, the way society was very different. It just opens your eyes, doesn't it? It, 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 Very, very different experience. I must admit, when I came back, most of my colleagues, most of the people I gravitated to were, in fact, expatriates because they seemed to understand the challenges that come with both an expatriate perspective and also a repat. So I found repatriation incredibly difficult when I came back. And again, you know, it's it's the start of a, a long journey of understanding some of the challenges that are associated with uh, readjusting back into, into your home country. Oh, there's nothing like lived experience to sort of be a glue or a magnet <laughs> to others who, who, who share a similar experience. How do you think the experiences of living abroad and working inside these multinationals has shaped your career and direction today? It's been absolutely instrumental. It's hard to nail one thing. I think you become very globally aware. You realise that the borders of your country do not restrict you from from engaging in, in what is an incredibly culturally rich world that we live in. So I think there's a, there's a fascination uh, of different countries. There's a 
uh, very inquisitive sort of mind as to what's happening. But I do, I'm, I'm very collaborative in nature and I just find that those that have worked overseas or those that have decided to go off and, and, and set their own businesses up. I mean, the entrepreneurial side of, you know, some of the expats is just absolutely amazing. So I find that very exciting. I think it's it's nice to understand and embrace the cultural, the power that comes from a culturally diverse workforce. There's just so much value in it that uh, I don't think it can be underestimated. So, yeah, I, I my time overseas definitely was by far, you, know, you come back and you think you're going to be in the travel industry. <laughs> I found that really boring. <laughs> I did that for a and I found yeah, that yeah, very yeah. boring. I love the challenge. I love the complexity and I think that's it. When you're talking about working across country borders, it's just incredibly complex and it's very grey and I love working in the grey. So, yeah. So when you tell the story of your career, I do see it following, I guess, where the trends in global mobility are going. We will get into the detail of some of these trends shortly, but what is your focus with Temi over the next few years? Yeah, so look, Temi's focus really is about connecting, growing and helping business, HR and business managers navigate tomorrow's global workforce management challenges today. So we're really trying to help businesses understand the value that comes from having a culturally diverse workforce. And then we're also trying to introduce them to organisations that are experts in different areas or that will actually support the expatriate population to do that. And I suppose over the next couple of years, it's all about employee experience. You know, that, that, I mean, we've got a few things. We've got diversity and inclusion um, is huge in the mobility space. I mean, we've been talking about it for years, about looking at, you know, gender equality and um you do statistics, how many women go overseas and you, you don't get very many stats back at all. So, you know, looking at, at how do we increase the, the flow of females in that expatriate workforce, how do we start looking at the experience as a whole and not just such a compliance focus. This industry has been very, very compliance focused for a very long time. For Temi, it's about, yes, compliance is just a natural day-to-day element of running a business. How do you leverage a global workforce and do that effectively and do it in a way that is going to be sustainable? Yeah, wonderful. I mean, it's a fantastic focus and drive to have. And I think it's something that we really need to examine a lot more within our organisations. And I think the way we choose and I think nominate people to go outward bound, but also in terms of return, it's actually one of the things we're very interested in from the survey is looking at who went out with their companies, gender, family dynamics, etc, so that we can understand the support frameworks. I mean, when I started in this business, Margot, many years ago, in some respects, it was really pure. You know, you you picked the right person for the job, you sent them overseas, they did their job, and then they would come home and they would be repatriated and they would be blended back into that, that network. Over the years, the employee-employer contract has really changed and we've got a lot of self-driven moves now taking place. Um, we've had a lot of cost-cutting with the GFC and, and you know, the recession that we didn't need to have, the recession that we had to have. You know, all, all of these things have played a really big part in that, in that flow and ebb and flow of, of talent. So I think 
moving forward. In a way, I feel like we're going back to ground one. I feel like we've done a full circle. We, you know, things that we put in place many years ago to support the repatriating expatriate disappeared. They were, it was cut because of costings. It was cut because of that social interaction between the employer and employee. And these days it's now becoming more and more important because of the skill shortage that we have. So I do feel like we've done a bit of a full circle and uh, now is the perfect time, especially using technology, for us to really enhance how we're actually mobilising our workforce. It's really, you know, bringing back the human element too, isn't it? It's not just, as you said, the compliance focus, but the the human, you know, engagement um, piece as well. Yeah, very, very much so. Through your role with Temi, you work with global HR and global mobility managers who are working on helping Australians go overseas and come home again. Is there a greater focus on the assistance going overseas or coming home? You did allude to the fact that we've got a we're starting to focus some attention to it. But in practice, do you see it? Look, in practice, still very much focused on the going out overseas. We tend to find that the focus is all about the job and filling that job role. So if you're talking about somebody who's actually employed, so if you've got somebody who's actually employed by an entity, their key focus is on who do they get to fill this role and they put that person in that role. I would love to say that there is a lot of focus on um, helping that individual assimilate and I, I think I'd be a bit unfair if I said that there was. I think there's a small amount of support provided to get that individual into the organisation. But most organisations sort of forget that after about three months, it doesn't just stop. Their focus is in that first three-month period where we know, you and I both know, that it's a roller coaster and it's an up and down and, you know, it can take over 12 months before you even, you know, tend tend to assimilate. So, yeah, look, I'd love to say that there was more of a focus on coming home, but there really, there really isn't. I also think the the other challenge here too is the evolution of the the individual actually driving the relocation. That yeah. because of that, um, there is a even less emphasis on coming home because the organisation hasn't necessarily prompted that particular move in the first place. They have actually embraced it, but it's not something that they've actually stimulated. So, yeah. And I guess we've seen such a change in the way contracts and things uh, translate. We know once upon a time you were relocated from an Australian base, whereas now you're localised on a local contract, et cetera. So you're not actually attached to a home office per se. So, yeah. Yeah, exactly right. We we used to have, you know, programs, as you say, we'd be employed in your home location. You would go out, you would be seconded, for want of a better word, overseas, and then you would be there for a period of time and then you would come back. These days, they're more permanent international transfers. They're they're more a case of we're going to transfer you across, you're going to cease your employment here in Australia, and you're going to start up an employment, a relationship with the entity in the offshore market. And you'll be paid in local currency, depending on which country you're going to. And you'll be treated like a a local employee, give or take a few benefits that might be added because of the location that you've actually gone to. But that that employer-employee relationship has really changed. And I think that's a really important point for individuals to acknowledge too when they go out that, you know, okay, I really have to think strategically about how I'm going to cultivate my connection 
with my network in Australia, even before they go, and to really think, okay, well, where are my colleagues today? Maybe where are the people that are one step ahead of me or two steps ahead of me in in the um, in the ladder? And really to sort of say, look, I want to stay connected, and this is why, and to set that up so that they have those connection points. I think back into the market. So because like like everybody, we all move, whether we're overseas or not. You know, we all change companies, jobs, sectors. And depending on the, the, the time in life, you know, that we're doing that, it really does drive us. So, you know, as a young, you know, early 20s individual, you know, going overseas, you're on an adventure, you're not stopping to think about your career in 30 years' time or 20 years' time. You're literally just looking at, well, this is where I'm at now for the next maybe four or five years if, if you're lucky. Um, whereas, you know, somebody a lot older will be thinking about their career path. So, yeah, I think you're right. Depending on where you're at in your life cycle and at why you're going overseas, you know, sometimes it's a job role, but other times it's actually I just want the experience um, or I just want to go and live in that particular country. And none of that is is not valid. You know, all of those things um, will drive your direction. But I find for me, depending on which way and why you went, your career path will be slightly different. In the Australian expat career survey, we ask people who've come back with a job and an organisation whether they intend to stay with this employer. Because we know anecdotally that many people leave the organisation that they come home with. What are your observations? It's widely recognised that repatriation is often the hardest phase of an expatriate assignment. And it has been that way for many, many years. It's quite difficult to end one role and then start and come back into another role, even if it is with the same organisation. So I think when it's all said and done, there are a number of things that companies are now doing to try to help that process. We're seeing the resurgence of what I call um, career planning or, or a little bit of succession planning, you know, what, what's actually going to happen at the end of this assignment. Some organisations will start the process three to four months before the individual's assignment comes to an end. And when they do do that, they're able to have these really specific discussions with the employee about what it is that they're going to be returning to, what type of roles that they might want to move into. And they can also, more importantly, reach out to the broader organisation that this individual's working with to say, hey, we've got talent and this talent's coming home and we think that there should be a role for this person. Let's make something work and so from there they start actually creating and in often in times actually building a job role that's actually going to suit the individual that's returning. Do you or are you able to give an example of organisations that have done that well over the years? Depending on the types of projects, um, engineers do this very very well especially when the market is buoyant. A little bit harder when the market's not so buoyant from an engineer project perspective because they are reliant a little bit on getting a project and then selling the resources in. Sometimes they sell the person into multiple projects, which is always a bit of fun, um, and then they've got to work out how they, they're going to move these individuals around. Definitely professional services and engineering firms have historically been quite good at this some of the oil mining companies have also been quite good. I'd say anybody who's got a mature 
well-structured mobility program has repatriation on the agenda. If it is a smaller organisation where they might only have a few expatriates offshore, then you are less likely at this point in time to see a dedicated repatriation strategy put in place. You've been working with global mobility managers for over 10 years. What has changed recently or what have been the emerging trends that you've seen? So from an organisational perspective, I think what's been really interesting is that with the record low unemployment figures out now, there is an absolute war for talent. As a result, companies are really starting to look at how can they attract and retain talent differently and where do they get that talent from when there is a limited global supply of individuals available. So at the moment, what we're seeing is we're seeing that HR um, business partners and global mobility managers are now looking at openly embracing employee-initiated moves. These days, they're actually sitting there and saying, actually, you know what, if we've got a candidate internally who is prepared to move internationally, then actually maybe we need to embrace that. So they are developing new policies, they're developing new processes that are going to basically recognise this new group of individuals that historically they have never um, really spent a lot of time with. And so I guess if we go to the flip side of that, it's not just on the way out, that is a great um, highlight for people who are come on their way back is to say, look, you really do need to put your hand up and explore what opportunities really lie from within. And sometimes that's going to be more than one conversation with more than one person. So really network with the, within the organisation to understand what's going on, yeah? Totally agree. I think that the, the thing we're finding is it's no longer siloed. It's not sitting in one part of the organisation. If we take the individual's perspective, yeah, they need to be talking to multiple people individuals within that organisation. It might be the HR business partner. It might be the business unit um, lead. It could be the global mobility professional. It might be all three of those to actually put it out there that they are available and that their program is coming to an end. One thing I would say is not to assume that the organisation has a structured approach to repatriation you know I think there's an expectation when people have gone overseas that they will have this structured approach but not 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 every organization does so you know six months before the assignment is due to to end getting on the phone actually ringing and saying hey my assignment is due to end what's the plan and not just to the mobility professional but to their line manager and and their um, HR business partner is a really good start Where do you think employers are at in terms of shifting from the global mobility mindset to the talent mobility mindset? Because this is a phrase that we hear a lot in your circles. Yes, very much so. And this I would put down a little bit to COVID. (laughs) Um, And in many respects, as a practitioner, I'm really grateful for it because I think this is where all of a sudden we are moving from a logistical transactional Um, definition of global mobility. So global mobility, you know, historically has been let's move somebody from A to B, let's look at the compliance, let's look at the logistics, Um, the employee experience is in there, but it's not been linked to the organisation's broader talent management platform. It's always been a bit of a standalone 
these days we are definitely seeing a trend towards the use of this term talent mobility or potentially career mobility mindset. And, and that's even more exciting for me as a practitioner. I love it because it's actually, is, it's calling it out for what it is. You know, we are talking about a very small world <laughs> um, with a very small pool of people out there and everybody is competing for that talent. Everybody wants to have the right person in that in, in the right role. Um, and so there is definitely a focus now on this talent that we're trying to secure, which means that we could be moving them across country borders or we might in fact just be moving them across state or province borders or we might be even just moving them from one department to another within an organization and and this is where I, I think it's it's there's just a huge shift taking place and maybe over the next you know next couple of years I would foresee that the global mobility teams will become far more like a talent mobility talent management team where they're integrated with the organization's workforce planning functions session planning functions, um, you know, really looking at, well, how are we going to utilise people's skills effectively and, and how can we give them an experience to do things maybe a little bit differently or to do other things that they're quite excited or interested in doing because the amount of skills that, you know, some of these individuals possess is just enormous and, and again we're seeing the whole entrepreneur the digital nomad the, the the individual who's so technologically savvy that they can work from anywhere that is a massive shift and again that will be linked very closely with talent management do I really need to relocate the individual or can I take the job to the individual I think we'll see a big shift in that over the next couple of years I think I think that's so incredibly interesting. I mean, I think once upon a time when somebody finished a job or thought, you know what, actually I'm ready for a move, they naturally went, I need to move out of the organisation. And nowadays it's really around, well, how do I mobilise myself and move through an organisation? Yeah, exactly. I mean, how exciting to be able to know that you can actually move from one division to another division. You've got skills that you've established and you've developed you don't have to go out to get out of that organization to hopefully grow your your career base you can take it in so many different directions and I think this is the the time is right for that type of movement which I think is very very exciting for those that have had the benefit of relocating overseas Oh, absolutely and I think you know at the heartbeat of our programs and career management advice is that you own your career, the organisation owns the role. And I think when you confuse the two, that's when the challenges come. So for talent mobility managers trying to retain Australian expats returning with roles, what is your advice? Probably proactivity. (laughs) First of all and foremost, focus on the experience of the expatriate. Be aware, number one, that the expatriate is returning home and that when they're coming home, that this repatriation is going to be quite difficult. It's not just, oh, they've, they've lived here before, everything's going to be okay, they'll slot right on in. I think, you know, for the first three to six months of a repat's life cycle, the challenges that come with both personally and career-wise settling in are huge. And most organisations, if I would say to the global mobility managers, do anything, it's, it's to review your repatriation process. Do you have 
a way of making the individual feel valued? Do you have a way of engaging that individual that's coming back? You're not going to just leave them in an office and put them in a corner and wait for somebody to talk to them. You know, let's have a, um, a repatriation or a career briefing with them. Find out what skills they've actually gleaned over the years. Find out what's changed in their world that maybe they don't necessarily want to go to the next CEO position. Maybe they do want to move across. Maybe they've now got a family and, and their, their priorities have completely changed. Maybe they actually have gained so many new skills that they can be used in a completely different way. So don't sort of earmark, don't pigeonhole people into the role that they left because they're definitely not the same individual. And don't, don't assume that they're coming back to the next level up. Don't be frightened to sort of say Tell me a little bit about your career trajectory. Where do you want to see it happening? What are your desires? And then how can we we make that happen? So that would be the first thing. I would also suggest that global mobility managers really look at what I call a re-onboarding or an induction program. They're very different things from a from a career briefing session where we're talking about the individual's career. The re onboarding or that that induction process is like we were talking about before. What's the values of these organisations now? What do we stand for? Who, who's our target market? What are we what are we selling or what are we buying or what are we delivering? You know, who are our customers now? What legislation has changed that they need to be aware of? Who are the people that are leading this particular new direction and how can you link them to these organisations? I think taking the time to actually have a very clear induction program which is not just a week or not just an hour it's a three-month induction onboarding process be very deliberate in it have a look at the technologies that the organization is using and again obviously look at you know how you're going to re-engage who you're going to introduce these people to I think it's really clear I think it's so important and I know with people that we often talk to or network with, they often still feel lonely within an organisation, even though they've come back with an organisation, that sense of like, oh my gosh, like I've I've really got to re-establish myself here, but I've also, I need help connecting the dots. So I think, you know, the assumptions that can be made on both sides can be quite harmful ultimately to the experience. And, and I guess ultimately how quickly people land and are in a position to be contributing. It's a bit like first impressions. If it goes really well when you go overseas, you start your move on a really positive foot. What's well, the same when you're coming home? <laughs> if it's handled really badly, then you arrive in, in that location and you're already disgruntled, you're already disheartened. So, you know, for, for global mobility professionals, it's about obviously making sure that the process goes well, that it, that the communication is really clear, that they know, everybody knows managing their expectations. They know what to expect and when to have it, not to just make assumptions that they're going to come back and that they've already got their networks all in place. I, it's a common mistake that a lot of departmental heads, whether they be HR, the business unit managers or global mobility, they make an assumption that all of those things have already been done. So if we turn the tables now, what would be your advice for expats themselves who are coming home with roles? Probably following on from that, help the organisation join the dots. And by that I mean 
you're going to sit down and you're going to absolutely talk. First and foremost, talk to the talent mobility manager, talk to your business HR manager, talk to your business unit manager, whoever it is that you're reporting to. But be really proactive, deliberately put a time in the calendar, not just a, hey, can I catch up with you? This is a deliberate, I'm making an appointment to talk to you about this. And then sit down and talk to them about your learnings, talk about your ambitions, have a bit of a chat, as I said, about your transferable skills. Tell them about the different types of problems that you've been dealing with or you've been you've learned how to solve or, or the things that have really changed within yourself that you know are going to be of value. But this is where I say help the organization join the dots. Show them how that experience is really going to be relevant to that organization. Show them the benefit that you can actually bring and you can apply because as soon as you do that, they will actually understand it. It's like a light bulb will go off and, and they will be able to then work out, well, actually, I can place you in this particular role because of X, Y, and Z skills. So, you know, I'd say help them join the dots, have the conversation join those dots. And then, you know, on top of that, make a conscious effort to seek out an introduction to the different stakeholders in the organisation. I think it's all great advice, Deb. I think that um, like many things in life, the key is quality communication. And that really takes planning a lot of the time. So, you know, to really set it up and execute on that well. Um, I've really enjoyed our conversation today and I'm very grateful for your time. So thank you very much. Pleasure, Marco. Thanks for having me. The Employee Mobility Institute is a distribution partner of our inaugural Australian Expat Career Survey 2022. If you're an Aussie expat still overseas or returned in the last three years, we would love to hear your views. Go to australianexpatcareersurvey2022.com or follow the link on the InSync website. All participants will receive first access to the survey report plus the opportunity to join a complimentary career repatriation workshop and networking event with other returning Australian expats. And if you enjoyed this podcast, please do leave us a review, share it with your friends and family and subscribe for future episodes.